0: Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review, and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message.
1: We're reading Acts chapter 10, the first 20 verses. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion, of the band called the Italian Band, a devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently, about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and sang unto him, Cornelius. When he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Now send a man to Joppa, and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. When the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants, and a devout soldier of them, that waited on him continually, When he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. He became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake again to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought, On the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. Let's unite together in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the experience that we have had this evening as our young people have shared with us in the devotional and song and spoken word and scripture. We thank you, Lord, for their testimony. We pray now that as we look to your word that you would speak to us from it. We might know that we have been in the house of the Lord, that it has been good to be here, and we can go forth rejoicing in your goodness to us, for in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're titling the message tonight, The Crossing of Paths, P-A-T-H-S, The Crossing of Paths, when two people cross each other. One of them is Cornelius and the other is Peter. Cornelius was a centurion that is he was a man that had a in that was in charge of about 600 men 600 soldiers he was stationed in israel and while there even though he was not a jew he had become very impressed with the life of the jewish people with the synagogue worship and had become a convert to Judaism he perhaps was attracted to the moral and the ethical and the spiritual aspects of the temple and the synagogue and the people that attended he is an example of many today who are attracted to the church for other reasons than for Jesus Christ they are attracted because of its apparent beauty or friends' benefits that one might obtain of having his life identified with a body of people that are called Christian, hoping that that someday might mean something to them, if not in this life, in the life hereafter. He's this type of individual. He's described as a very outstanding man, the type of man that we perhaps would enjoy having in our family, perhaps as our own father. He is described as being a man of faith. The scripture says he was doubt, a devout man that feared God. He was described as a family man. He not only feared God, but he feared God with all his house. He led his household in worship. He made God the center of that home. And as Doran pointed out in her comments, From her experience, he would have been a type individual who would have done that same thing. He would have seen to it that his family worshipped, that his family went to church, that his family had prayer before mealtime and before going to bed. He would have been the type of man that would have led his family well so that when his children grow up and go away from home, they would always remember what they had been taught. As we look back in our lives, we can reflect today, particularly, upon the influence of our fathers, whether it is good or whether it is bad. Nevertheless, the influence is there. We remember what it was like, how we were taught and how we were trained. If it was a good training... We ought to pattern our lives after it. If it was not good training, we ought to recognize it as being inferior and not what it ought to be and determine that we will do better with our families than we were done with. So he is this kind of individual. He is very fervent. The scripture says that he gave alms to the people and he prayed to God always. He was a good, benevolent individual. If there was a person in the community, regardless of their race, or collar, and they were in need, he reached down into his pocket and he gave what he could to that family. He was that type of person. He was very conscious of the physical needs of the Jewish people, even though he was a Roman soldier. Very conscious and gave generously. He supported the temple. He supported the synagogue. He gave whenever he could, and he always prayed to God. But... He recognized that there was something incomplete. Something that had not happened where he was not satisfied. Something was missing. And he knew it. And he did not know what it was. He was like the rich young ruler that Jesus had a confrontation with on one occasion. The young man was rich he had a position in the government. He was well respected and looked upon by, by his peers, by his family in the community. And he came to Jesus on one occasion and said, good master, what must I do to have eternal life? A common question that is asked continually. He made the wrong question. He didn't know it. He was wanting to know what he could do, what physical act he might do giving alms to the poor, going to church three times a week, or something he thought Jesus would tell him, you do this and you will be saved. You get down on your knees and pray. You do something, do something, do something, seems to be the pattern. People want to do something to be saved. And this was the attitude of the rich young ruler. And it was a question in the mind of Cornelius as to what he ought to do to be saved. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, You know all the commandments, you ought to keep them. He said, I've kept the commandments. And yet what do I lack? He knew that this was not sufficient. This is the key to anybody coming to Christ to be saved. They must know that they're not sufficient in their own life. They must know that the things they're doing is not going to save. And this is instilled in people. It's born there. We naturally know it, that in order to go to heaven, in order to be saved, it's got to be something more than a list of doing things. And the rich young ruler knew it as well. And he said, I've done all this, what yet do I lack? And Jesus saw that his problem was his money was in his way whatever amount it might have been, he was described as rich. A rich person is only the person who has more than I have. That's all a rich person is. Anybody who has more than I is rich. And the same thing you would say, anybody who has more than you would have to be described as rich. Well, was his problem, that he was so much involved and interested in obtaining physical wealth that he was missing what real wealth is all about. And Jesus said, you need to sell, this is something he did need to do, sell all that you have, get rid of it, and give the money to the poor. Then come and follow me. In other words, get out of your life that thing that is more important than I am. Whatever it is, separate it from you. And this key has never ceased to be. The reality of becoming a Christian or living the Christian life is to get out of our lives those things that are more important than Jesus. Put him first and we'll be saved. If he cannot be first in our lives then we have problems. And here was where the this man Cornelius was. He was generous with his money. He was not a Uh, one who had problems with physical wealth. He would be willing to give it away, but he was searching unceasingly for something that was missing. Had he been in today's society, he might have tried sports cars. And there are those young people in our society who believe that the ultimate thing in life is to own the fastest automobile on wheels. I rode to Huntington in in one of those uh, this week that was geared for 120 It had all the fancy gadgets inside and I sat there in luxury while the fellow who owned the car drove and I left my little one sitting out here on the parking lot. I was very glad to let him drive. He had air conditioning and the whole bit and I I sure appreciated that. But his interest, at least at this point, was having the best and the fastest that he possibly could have and that ought to have brought ultimate glory to his life. I don't know what his experience is at this point at least with the Lord I'll be finding out I think some people would try it in a new home the ultimate thing is to own the fanciest home that is possible some would try it in a new boat some would find it in alcohol some would find it in all the pleasures that life could offer going hither and yon trying to find something that satisfies a longing deep deep down in the heart that is never satisfied One of the things I discovered when I got that car that I was always after, that it soon wore off and that no longer appealed to me and I had to have something else. Do you remember those experiences? Those are the things uh, that, that we go through. There is nothing wrong at all. and I'm not advocating that there's anything wrong with having the finest sports car or the finest home or the finest boat or the finest anything. If we can obtain those things and keep them in perspective of our relationship with the Lord I I don't see anywhere in the scripture that would prohibit that the point is if they become the focal point of our life more important than the church and more important than Christ then we are out searching for something and we don't know what it is and this was the problem that the man had and after a while it all fades away and the emptiness is still there but being a very devout man he prayed and he asked God to help him What is it, God, that is missing in my life? He would have prayed. Something's wrong. It certainly wasn't the fact that he didn't have enough money or have enough prestige or have enough power or have all the fine things of life. He had all those, and they were not satisfying him. And God heard the prayer of this man. God heard his prayer. But God did not do what we might think he ought to do and simply say, well, now, Cornelius, the thing you need to do is to get saved. God didn't say that. We want God to come right down out of heaven with a loud voice and tell us in plain words, this is what you ought to do. And God doesn't elect to work that way. Instead, he said through a vision, through a dream to Cornelius, the thing I want you to do, Cornelius, is send some men over to Joppa and ask for a man named Peter and he will tell you what to do. Now, the point I want to make here is that the Lord uses people to get his message across. Now you and I may be that Peter in somebody's life. I think we must not overlook it that the Lord is going to cause someone's life and your life to cross in order that you can explain to that person what he needs to do and how he needs to do it. About salvation, about church, about prayer, whatever. If we are a person like Peter, who likewise was praying, then the Lord is going to prepare us to be the Peter that will cross the life of somebody else now totally unknown to us in order that we might influence them for the cause of Christ. Now Peter didn't know Cornelius. Cornelius never heard of Peter. They're total strangers. But here is God in heaven above looking down upon the earth and he is the greatest tracker of people there is. He doesn't lose anybody or anything. He knows exactly where you are and where I am at all times. And if he wants us, he knows exactly where to tap us because we are known to him and and he knows where we are. The scripture says that not even a sparrow falls from heaven, but what it is in the, the consciousness of God. Well, if not even a sparrow falls from heaven... At, and dies upon the earth without God's keen awareness how much more is he aware of you and of me where we are we can't escape him we can't hide our life our life somewhere where he doesn't see us now we can hide from each other but not from God and here is Peter over in Joppa not knowing that there's anybody doing anything in Caesarea not knowing there's a man named Cornelius that's got three guys on the road heading for his house to ask him to come to Caesarea he doesn't know all of this God said to Cornelius send men to Joppa and ask for one called Simon Peter he even described how to find the house he lives in a fellow's house along the seaside so lives are being prepared to cross. Can you recall a time in your life when your path crossed with somebody else that you never heard of, never expected to have contact with, and there was an impact? Your life was impacted. How come? Why did your paths cross? Because God above said to one person here and the one person there, go toward each other and cross. Neither one knew that the other was going to do it. Some of us are Cornelius's, some of us are Peter's. We all at times are Cornelius in that we have a need for somebody to cross our path and help us in time of need. Some of us at times and all of us at times are Peter who needs to be directed and sent to cross somebody's path in order to be the assistance that that person needs at a given time. This is the way God works. Now the angel did not give Cornelius an answer. He simply said, go uh, to over to Joppa and find this man Peter. Now Peter, not knowing that any of this is happening, has come in for lunch When I was back on the farm, that was called dinner, and we had supper in the evening. I don't know whether you have dinner and supper or you have lunch and dinner, but whichever it is, this was the noontime meal. And we had as big a lunch or dinner when I was on the farm as we had supper. It was a big meal, and I think this probably was true with Peter, and he came in and, and dinner or lunch was not ready. So he went up to the rooftop that was flat and they spent time up there. Their patio was on the roof in order to wait for dinner to be ready. And he was hungry and he fell asleep and he dreamed of food. I do that a lot of times, particularly ice cream. I can dream of that, so easy. But what he dreamed was something that came down out of heaven, a sheet knotted at the corners, and in that huge sheet were all kinds of animals, clean and unclean. That is those that were ceremonially acceptable to the Jewish people to eat, and those that were not. The Jew had been prohibited from eating certain animals. If they did not chew, their could, and had a split hoof, they were not to eat. They couldn't eat hogs for that reason. That was a ceremonially unclean animal. And here were hogs on this sheet. You see, a cow has a cloven hoof, but it chews, its could. And that was an acceptable animal to the Jew. That was a distinction that God made with the Jewish people. And now here are all these unclean things, wild animals on there, all kinds. And there was a voice, and God's voice, and Peter recognized it. And the voice said, rise, Peter, kill, eat. You're hungry. There's all kinds of food. And Peter in his vision looked on that sheet and he saw these unacceptable animals and his response to God was not so, Lord. You're not going to get me to do that. Now, there's something wrong here. Not so, comma, Lord. You can't put those together. All right. One of them's wrong. We can say not so, but we can't in the same breath identify the person to whom we're talking as our Lord. Because if he is our Lord, we will do whatever he commands. Peter is in a state of confusion, and he's going to have to be changed in his attitude. Peter needs an attitude adjustment. You see, his opinion was that only the Jew could be saved. Not these miserable Gentiles. Not Cornelius. Not him. He's a Roman soldier. He doesn't deserve to be saved. He deserves to go to hell. That's where he deserves to go, according to Peter. Sometimes we get so tied up in our beliefs that we can't see the full picture. It's sort of like the the blind men who were examining the elephant, and each one had a hold of a piece of the elephant, and one had a hold of the trunk. You remember this from school? One had a hold of the trunk, and one had a hold of the leg, and one had a hold of the tail, and they were each saying what an elephant is according to their experience. The elephant was like a rope to the guy who had a hold of the tail. The elephant was like a tree to the one who had a hold of a leg. You remember that? We don't see the full picture. Here were people who were blind who did not see the full elephant, and they were inadequately describing what God's creation was. And sometimes we're so narrow-minded in our concept of things as we read the Bible that we don't see the full picture. And we want to stick to some isolated incident and don't allow it to, to be wide enough in our concept and what God is saying to get the full picture. We have preconceived ideas that are wrong about what the the Bible really has to say. Now, before Peter could help Cornelius, he had to have a change in his mind. He had to see that God was a lot bigger God than he had previously perceived him to be. He had to understand that God wanted the Gentile to be saved no matter how miserable he was. He wanted him to understand it made no difference what color he was or what nationality or what language he spoke. And sometimes we do not see clearly enough to realize that the gospel of Jesus Christ has got to be made available to all peoples of all nations of the entire world because God loves every one of them the same. Everyone. Our minds must be opened And Peter was a person whose mind was very closed. He had a narrow view as to what the church was all about and what preaching was all about and who ought to be saved and who ought not to be saved. Two unlikely people are about to cross. Peter awakes from his vision and there are three men standing at the door asking for him. And the Lord simply said to him, I want you to go with these men and don't ask any questions. Wow. Wow we start asking questions real quick. Why, Lord? What do you mean? What's all this about? Without accepting what the Lord tells us in faith, we want all the answers up front. Peter didn't have any answers. Only one thing he understood now, that there was a Gentile Roman soldier asking for him, and God said, Go to him. And when... Peter got there, then his mind began to broaden and he saw God in different eyes. He saw salvation in a different way and he preached unto Cornelius and Cornelius and his house accepted Jesus Christ. And Peter said, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, that he loves everybody. He didn't know that before. We need to perceive things In the eyes of God, not in our own eyes. What does God say about it? Not what do we want him to say. Cornelius was to be saved as a result of this experience, but Peter, something about him also was changed. He had a broader concept as to what the gospel was. His horizons were expanded. His prejudices were loosened, and he became more capable of being used of the Lord. You see, Cornelius helped Peter as much as Peter helped Cornelius. And that's exactly where we are. Whether we're Cornelius or Peter, we each are a help to the other. See, some of us need to be helped. Some of us need to be needed to help. And we all benefit from that experience. We're either one or the other. And sometimes we're both at different times. Somebody who has a need or somebody who can provide for our needs. Either way, it is God above that directs us and sends us and crosses our paths that we can help each other. If we will let the Lord lead, shall we pray?